Coach, here's a question for you. Have you ever wished you could sell like a car salesman without really, you know, selling like a car salesman? Well, a lot of coaches feel that way. Our guest today on the podcast is going to show you how to do just that. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, lover of McDonald's French fries and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Oh yeah, Coach, I know what you're thinking. I don't want to sell like a car salesman. That's, those guys are ripping people off or they're manipulative or they're forcing people into a decision or, you know what, they're just sort of slimy and slick and I don't want to be like that as a college coach. Okay, I understand that and I can appreciate where you're coming from because certainly there are a lot of less than reputable car sales professionals out in the world and you may have even run into some in your years of of buying a car. I take a different approach. I look at that profession and I see people that are at the top of their game, the ones that are doing it right anyway, are at the top of their game. They have mastered the ability to lead people through a decision. They have mastered the ability to sort of capitalize on the emotional wants we have as uh, somebody maybe that's wanting a new car. And they know how to convert that emotional decision into a very practical uh, process moving forward to where you actually have to sign a contract and buy the car. And if you think about it, Coach, the reason I'm bringing all this up today is because your central job in recruiting is to lead somebody that maybe emotionally is connected with you or your team or your program or your campus and the school and the education it offers. And now how do you take that emotional connection and translate that into action. And the action being, I'm committing to play for you, coach. That's what I want to focus on, and that is what a good professional car salesman can do for you, is help you understand that principle that they get a lot of training on, that you get no training on as a college coach as you head into your profession. The training of how do you guide somebody into making that decision. And how do you overcome objections along the way? And what are the things that they're aware of in terms of people's psychology walking onto a car lot that you could apply to your duties in recruiting college prospects? That's what you want to focus on today. And I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest and jump right into our conversation because you're going to learn so much in the next 35, 40 minutes that it's going to really impact your recruiting. You're going to pick up good things. Uh, the individual that we're bringing in, uh, who I'll introduce in a second, spoke at the 2016 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, and he was one of the most interesting speakers there because of the perspective that he brought as somebody now that deals with businesses and consulting and making them better and doing a lot of speaking. Well, he, he has translated his career prior to that as a uh, general manager for a car dealership into lessons that businesses, and in this case coaches, can take and learn from the people who are doing it right on the car lots all over the country, and that's what we want to bring to you today. And Coach, you are going to love it. Our guest today, Coach, is Mark Tewart. 
And to tell you a little bit about Mark, he is not from the sports world, which I think makes him even more interesting because of the perspective that he brings is one that you may not have heard before as a college recruiter. Uh, He is one of the most recognized individuals when it comes to sales, marketing, management, being motivated, and just conducting your business operations in the automotive industry. He, he speaks now to all types of businesses and all types of groups and even to, uh, to college programs because of his, really his vast experience, uh, really successful background, over three decades in car sales. So you know he's good if he's stuck around that long in a very competitive and very difficult industry. Uh, he, he's a pro. He started in sales, uh, moved up to finance. He then became the youngest executive manager in the country at just 27, which is really rare in the car world. Uh, he's been since then president of several successful companies. He is the author of How to Be a Sales Superstar, Break All the Rules, and Succeed While Doing It. And he is active online too. Uh, and his website you can go to is tuart.com. T-E-W-A-R-T dot com. Mark Tuart is our guest. And again, the reason that we wanted to bring him into the podcast was the same reason we wanted him to speak at the 2016 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, because he brings such a different perspective. And yet the lessons that he has and the lessons that he's learned in car sales directly impacts how college coaches can successfully market and sell their program to their prospects. And even though coaches don't want to feel like or seem like or be perceived as a car salesman, there are so many principles at play that match up between the two industries. Mark is really fascinating to listen to and can it can make that correlation too. And just uh, on, a, on a side note, he is the dad of an actively recruited high school football player. So he does bring that experience into it as well. So not only the business side, but he is experiencing the recruiting process uh, and and watching his son interact with coaches and and read their messages, and so he'll comment on that uh, as well in uh, in the interview. So at the start of our conversation, we asked Mark a very simple question: as a general manager, as somebody whose livelihood depended on getting good people inside, doing a professional job at leading those customers into buying an automobile. We asked him what was it that he looked for first and foremost when he was trying to find new salespeople for his dealerships. I think the biggest thing that you look for, whether you're recruiting an athlete or whether you're uh, recruiting a salesperson, it's really all the same thing. You're looking for uh, what I would say recruit for talent and attitude. And I know the old saying in the sports world that you. Um, that, it, that, that what you do is about the Jimmys and Joes and not the X's and O's. So you have to have the talent and you're, uh, as coaches, great at identifying talent. But also looking for two other things, uh, hiring for talent and attitude, but training for skills. So you coach up their skills, but it's hard to put attitude into someone. And what I mean by attitude is a desire to win, a self-motivation. So looking for more self-motivated people rather than people that are always looking for extrinsic motivation. And the other very important thing that I look for is what I call a teachable spirit. Often, uh, if you have somebody who is a winner, they have a burning desire to get better constantly. 
they have a teachable spirit to figure out how they can learn even more every single day. And I think what happens in the sales world, and I'm assuming this may also happen with coaches, you're recruiting a particular athlete, and after a while, they start to begin to um, believe their press clippings. If they're a good athlete, <laughs> right. they've received some recognition, uh, they're being catered to not only in their school, but maybe by their parents and their friends and teachers and preachers and then coaches trying to recruit them. And so they develop an attitude where then maybe they've arrived a little bit. And I look for people that have a teachable spirit. If you don't have a teachable spirit, you don't have the right attitude. You don't have the right talent. I probably cannot coach you to do anything. And it's going to be just like in sales would be a bad hire. This will be a bad recruit. Well, and I was just going to say, Mark, that you, you sort of painted that picture uh, from the athlete's perspective, the importance of athletes always wanting to learn and be better. And absolutely, I agree with you that that makes a great athlete. But take it from the coach's perspective, because you touched on something that just like that would make a bad hire in sales. That might be a coach that would struggle then in his career. And so in the same way that if, you know, I hear and, and hear about stories of coaches that would say, well, you know, I got into this to coach or, hey, here's the program I came from. I don't need to know all of these intricacies of, of sales psychology and communication and marketing and how to you know, overcome objections. I'll just do it. And is there an element of that that you saw in car sales that would basically hamper or even destroy the career of a car sales professional, the, the, the person, the man or woman that came in or quickly developed the attitude like, well, I've been doing this a while, I don't need any more training. I would 100% agree that that occurs and it's, uh, it, it is a sure sign to fail whether I think you're a coach or whether you're um, a you know, manager at a dealership and you're trying to recruit people or any other industry because of the fact that um, you, you're limiting your, your brain. And so what happens is um, when you're looking at that recruit, if you build the relationship and you spend more time with them, you begin to understand the true, their why. And I always say when the why gets strong, the how gets easy. So everybody has a different leverage point to motivate them and you want to figure out that what that why is. And that really only comes through spending time. But you'll find salespeople that'll think, or coaches even, that will think, um, I don't need this. Uh, all I have to do is relate to somebody. Well, that's a big part of it, but believe you me, everybody on earth is a salesperson, period. I don't care if you're a housewife, a teacher, a preacher, or whatever you do, you are using persuasion. And those that can persuade win, especially in the coaching world. It's a lot about recruiting. And of course, if you cannot persuade, you will not. And sometimes the biggest thing is people think that sales or persuasion is all about personality nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, I've seen diverse things. Look in the coaching world. I would say Nick Saban in football has a completely more business-like personality, but he uses his persuasion techniques to be the authoritative type person, whereas you have others that are completely different, but they're using persuasion. And so just relying on personality and thinking that people are just gonna buy what you've got to sell, just always remember TLC, think like a customer and your, your parents and these young athletes are your customers. So listen for their key words. What are they saying to you when you're talking to them? And people tend to re repeat their key words 
whether it's one or two things, that's the overriding thing that is most important to them. Right. And when you hear this, when you hear these repeatable keywords, you know what the leverage point is of what they're looking to accomplish. And I don't want to say you sell because you really, if you do this right, you're not so much selling because the root of the word sell means to serve. Right. You're, you're serving people. Right. You're helping okay. them get what they want and solving their problem. So this is, okay, so this is one of the areas I wanted to dive in. This is why I wanted to talk to you. Because you mentioned something there, and that is a, it's a technique where you have trained in the past your people when you ran dealerships to look for those key words. And what are they repeating? And you said those are, that's sort of where their, you know, their points of emphasis is. So can you, can you give me an example? Can you walk me through what that would look like on a, on a car sales lot? And, and kind of what, so just walk me through that scenario. Give the coaches who are listening an example of what you're talking about. Ask an open-ended question rather than a closed-ended question. A closed-ended question is yes or no, but you want to ask a specific question that would lead you to a keyword answer example. Very simple. Whether you're selling cars or planes or trains or automobiles or you're a coach, you're, you're, it's really going to boil down to the same basic questions, and one of those would be, um, if you had to pick one thing, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones or Joe Athlete, if you had to pick one thing that's the most important thing to you in this decision, what would that one thing be? And so what happens often in sales, and this is, I think, if people don't truly understand the art and science of sales, if they don't sell, if they don't persuade, if they don't relate to that key word of what's most important, if they don't know that, what they're doing is what I call looping. And you'll see this from what I think are poorly trained salespeople. They will just talk about them rather than the person. They'll talk about themselves. And so in regards to a coach, they're talking about their campus. They're talking about their football program. They're talking about all these different things, which you're going to have to go over. But unless you're tying that in to the key words of the person of what they're looking to uh, accomplish, about 80% of it is going to be superfluous. You're going to be saying things that they don't care about, and it's looping, saying the same thing over and over. And all you're really doing is giving features. You're not giving a benefit of the feature tied in to a story to that particular recruit. So you have to tailor it for that particular recruit. And there's an old adage. It's called FABS. And actually, it was called FAB, and I added the S to it. And it's feature. What is the feature? If you're, if you're giving a feature, if it's about your campus or your football program, but people don't really purchase features, they per purchase the benefit of that feature. So in FABs, you have the feature. Then you have what is the advantage to them in that feature. And then B, what is the benefit to them in that feature. And then S, utilize a story that wraps all of that up in a similar situation story, whether it's a previous recruit, whether it's them as present tense, as if they're already there on that campus, in that football program, and they begin to visualize and see that in their brain, that will help you accomplish some of those things. Got it. So that should, should be a, an indication for coaches, or really anybody, just the general population. When they look at car sales, I hear a lot of coaches say, if we're in a workshop and we're doing training and stuff and we start talking about techniques of how to guide or influence somebody to a decision, 
or to serve them in that process, as you as you pointed out. I'll get the comment, coach will raise his hand, and, you know, I don't want to do this, or it sounds sort of, I don't know if I want to do that, because I don't want to just be a used car salesman. And I think car sales in our society sort of get this, this negative, uh, stereotypical rap. Can you just deviate for a second and explain to people how difficult it is to sell cars? Uh, it can be very difficult and it can be very rewarding. And uh, I know uh, car sales people that are extremely gifted in helping people. And no matter what you sell, it's a paradigm. So if you're helping people solve their problems, there's a reason why they're purchasing from you. So you, if I took a good coach, he could be a good car salesman and a good car salesman could be a good coach because you're helping people solve their problems. And a coach that says that to me is, is very misguided in my opinion because the reality is they have a bad connotation in their brain about sales and they're thinking that it's something that you do to somebody sales is something you do with somebody trying to help them trying to serve them and it doesn't matter whether it's a a pump or a, you know your, your athletic scholarship or whether it's a car a plane a train it just doesn't matter and you have to understand that selling is one of the most noble careers you could ever have in your life and and i truly mean that because everything you eat every day everything you wear everything you do happens because somebody sold something somewhere somehow some way and you go one day without sales and this entire world collapses and that includes your relationships uh, you want better relationships you better sell and yeah. so it's a paradigm shift i i would say that those people are very who are taking that mentality are very misguided if you're thinking that it's something you do to somebody it's a paradigm shift. You have to think that you're going deeper, more empathically, more passionately to help somebody solve their problem. And, um, you know, really good salespeople aren't what you think they are often. Uh, they think of a fast talking person with all of what we call these closes for every objection. And sure, it's great if you have those things in your word track, but salespeople are just great at relationships. They're great at persuasion. They're great at uh, allowing people to arrive at their own conclusion, which serves both parties. That's truly all sales is. I would ask that person to step back and think of what they're saying. It's, it's, it's very much incorrect. Right. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to, again, sort of with the, you know, the, the person who now does professional training and goes all over the country and works with businesses and consults and trains on sales methodologies, but, again, using this past experience of, of operating and running car dealerships, which, and again, if coaches don't understand, those, each one of those car dealerships are multi-million dollar operations with big payrolls, and, and it, that is a, a very intense business to be in. But I want to take you know, the aspect of buying a car and how you would train your, uh, your sales professionals how to guide and serve someone in that decision of buying that car how they did it, and I'm going to compare it with maybe a situation that a coach would face that I think is similar. So, for instance, whenever I bought a car, whenever there was an internal discussion with our, with my wife, and okay, it was it was time we need a new car, we want a new car, and it starts with you drive up to the car lot of the 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 model that you may think you want, or at least you want to look at those models, and you step on the lot, 
and you start looking in the same way maybe that an athlete would reach back out to you as a as a coach they got an email from you you know what yeah I'll, I'll take a look I'd be interested to know what they had there what would you train so here I have I'm just stepped onto the car lot what would you train your sales professionals to do once that happened what are the priority points in that first initial interaction that you have with with that customer and I'm hoping that in this situation you could coaches are going to hear something that they could apply to when they first hear from a prospect Absolutely. Well, I'm known as the contrarian, meaning opposite, different, unique. And what I would teach and share and educate on is to do the opposite of what most people would do. Most people, if the customer was coming on the lot or you're talking to a recruit on campus, they're going to start sharing and showing. And it's what I call a spray and pray method of selling. You're spraying out every presentation, every benefit of every feature and you're hoping that that customer wants to buy, and in this case, a recruit or a person buying a car, that you're going to say something they love. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll real quick time out there because for me and for coaches, I think I would say that's when a coach in an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper or in an email tells everything about the college, yep. how many acres it is. We have fifty-three yes. majors, and it just goes. It's just it's putting everything out there, and and this is important. I'm glad you mentioned this because that spray and pray because I think coaches have the attitude, some coaches have the attitude that I've got one shot, I need to tell them everything I need to, I, I can about our university or our program because I might just have this one shot. And what I hear you saying is from an effective car sales relationship, if you want to begin guiding somebody, that's the wrong approach to take. So go ahead and continue that. I just want to make that a correlation. Ask more questions up front. Uh, that's the key. And there's two parts to this. Number one, ask a lot of questions, very specific questions, so you know what's most important. And I, I can truly relate to this because I have a 17-year-old son, a junior in high school, that is starting to be recruited for football. Mm -hmm. And after he has a talk with a coach, I'll ask him, uh, what did you like? What did you not like? What transpired? What did you feel? And in one day, there were three coaches that came to his school and spoke to him and I asked him what the difference was and he said one just told me every single thing he could possibly tell me about the university in a couple of minutes he said I felt like he was a slick business person he seemed like a nice person but it was about him and it didn't seem like he cared about me whereas the other person uh, from a very good university came in and asked me a lot of questions and then began to relate to me based upon those questions and I felt like he truly cared about me and mm -hmm. kids have a huge BS detector they don't want to be sold they don't want to uh, have somebody doing the looping process so ask questions about them because a, a, a kid in a 16 17 18 year old mind thinks differently than an adult and they have things that are important to them that may not seem important to us but you have to hit on what they want to hear about and then you'll be able to share the other things that you also know that are very important for that potential recruit right. so one is number two ask better questions and practice active listening skills and i use an acronym called ears encourage people to talk by asking them questions a acknowledge their answers by nodding your head and saying I understand or I appreciate that or that makes sense to me or I'm glad you shared that with me and then R respond back and repeat 
the things that they've said. If their keyword is the campus or the major, repeat that, that keyword back to them to let them know that you're truly listening to them. Right. And S, save that information and continually use it. Now, on the opposite side, when you are beginning to give information about your program, about your university and campus and majors, what I would invite you to do is have what I call a specific defining proposition. Hey, Mark, real, real quick, you just something popped into my mind. So I'm, sure. I'm, I'm picturing myself on a car lot, and they've asked questions. And what you're going to go into now is, you know, when it's time to give more information. So let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. What would be for, in, in the car sales world, if you're going to be a good, successful uh, car sales professional, mm -hmm. what, how do you know when to start selling? So you've been asking questions, you've been finding out about them, asking their situation, maybe listening for those repeated phrases. How does a car salesman know when to start selling the actual features of the car or the reason that they might want to take the step, next step into this particular model or this particular uh, um, style? It's part art and part science. I don't think that there's a set number of questions, but often it's way more questions than what you would think. It's, and it's not an interrogative thing, it's a conversational thing. So when somebody... And I guess what, what I find is that in, in recruiting, it's, you know, I think one of the big cues is when you can get a teenager, when a teenager, if, so the coach is asking questions like you've recommended, I think that's fantastic. When the teenager or the parent that you're talking to would come back and say, oh, that sounds really good. Hey, so he's interested in business. Do you have a business major there? That would be, I think, in the coaching world, the cue that, okay, now I can start selling that aspect of my school because they're ready to listen to it. Is that, I mean, do you see some logic in that or do you find that to be the case with, with car sales? It's in any area of sales, you take their keywords and relate back to them. So for every question that you ask, you're, what you're creating is an 80-20 rule where the uh, person that you're speaking to is going to talk 80%. You're going you're gonna to be listening 80%. Uh, when, they, when they are talking, you're doing the listening. 80% of selling is actually listening. So they'll tell you what they want and the problems that they face or the fears. And once you have that, the other part of this is not just the feature of what you're going to sell to, but there's a fear uh, in every single person. When somebody does not buy something, whether it's your college and your program or a car, the number one overriding reason is fear about, in the car world, we call it money, me, or machine. So money is what will it cost? Me is me, dealership, service, reputation, location. So you could apply the same thing to a college. It's me as a coach uh, or coaches. It's our location. It's our uh, campus. It's our reputation. And then the machine is all of those things that are involved in that, the specific features of that. So the machine is a car. It could be ride style, handling, color, those type of things. So just think money, me, and machine. Money, me, machine. Machine is the campus and all those different things, the, the, the uh, different majors. Me is really more of me and the coaches and the people that make that happen in their world. So think the three M's, money, me, or machine, and apply to that. Listen 80%. Uh, you, you won't have to talk a lot because all you'll do is take the your answers and add on to them and address them. They'll tell you where to go and what's most important, and they'll tell you 
how they want to be sold, what they're looking to buy and how they want to be sold. That is such good advice. And I just, again, to repeat it for coaches, the aspect or the idea that that they, I mean, any prospect, whether you're buying a car or you're deciding on which college to play at, they're going to tell you how to get them to play at that school or to make that decision. And I, so often that, you know, mediocre salespeople don't listen and so they don't know that formula that, that the prospect is laying out in front of them. In the same way, uh, um, coaches aren't listening to their families when they're talking to them on campus or on the phone and, uh, and, and so on. So I, I, let me move to the next step in, in this car sales process, which I think is, is fascinating. And I think one of the reasons we, we you know, as car buyers, sometimes you know, our heart rate goes up and we get a little bit of dread because we see the car sales person walking towards us on the lot and we know that now we're going to have to interact with somebody and of course we're there and we're interested in buying a car but it's odd that we don't like talking to people about it sometimes as uh as buyers but so you're in this conversation now the the sales professional understands maybe a little bit more about why they're there and is able to start guiding them and maybe they've settled on uh on on a car how important is it or why why does every why do you train sales professionals in the car industry to do the test drive. What's the psychology behind that? It's a couple of different things. You can mentally begin to take ownership. And picture so yourself in it, right. you can picture yourself in it and you're transfer, there's a transference. Um, you have emotion and logic and when emotion combines with logic, it distorts the current reality. So people rarely make decisions can on you logic say that again? alone. Can you say that again, Mark? Emotion yeah, tends really... to distort reality. And I don't mean anything negative by that. It's just a fact of life. No, you're 100% on. Yeah. And so what I mean by the emotion distorts reality is, hey, if it were just about your campus and about your program and about your academics and everything else, there are some schools that would probably win every single time. But it's not a logic-based decision uh, unless it, it has to be influenced by emotion. And where that emotion comes in is trying it on for size. So you, and here's an example. Um, often car salespeople will take a quick five, 10 minute test drive with a customer in a car. I tell them, take 20 minute test drives. If I get in a car at an airport and it's a rental car, it's 15 or 20 minutes before I even begin to feel comfortable because it's something completely different. But yet many car salespeople will take a five minute test drive and then ask somebody to spend fifteen to a hundred thousand dollars on a vehicle it's insane same thing with the recruit you have to invest the time because of not only persuasion but it's what i call reciprocation and obligation when you spend time with people their subconscious begins to lower their defense mechanism and they can't help but tell you exactly what they want and the emotion becomes as big and more as the logic and when emotion meets like a teeter-totter, the exact level of logic, you tend to have a buying purchasing decision. And if it does not, you have people that are still going to look and I'll get back with you. And that's what happens in recruiting, just the same as if it does for selling a vehicle. Got it. Okay, so it's important to get that, that prospect into, uh, you know, into the car and driving it. And then the next step, which I, I think there's another fascinating psychology behind this, 
just as a car buyer who has observed it and just knowing what I know on the sales side, they really want you to get into that little room in the dealership, don't they? That's, I mean, that's a big deal to get them to walk inside. Hey, do you want to come in and find out how much it's going to cost or run some numbers? Is that kind of explain that step that why that's important? And then I'll relate it back to maybe something that coaches need to know about where that would fit in their process. Well, if you think about it, nobody's ever sold a car to somebody they did not give figures to. <laughs> right. So you may love the car, but money, me, or machine. And so you're now thinking money. Can I afford it? Uh, does it fit my budget? Does it make sense for me? Is it logical? I'm emotional about it, but can I pair that with the right logic? Right. So it's the same thing on a university. What is this going to cost me? Um, how does that play out? What's the total cost of this education and what percentage of that? How does that break down? Where is it going to come to? One without the other doesn't work. So I tell people, don't think about trying to, quote, close a deal. Just take somebody to the next step. Uh, be transparent. Give them the information that they need to make a decision, and then they, they can make a decision. One thing, if they don't have the information, they can't make that decision. So you have to get them to that next step. Emotion, though, always comes before the logic. What, so, okay, so emotion comes before the logic, and you outline that emotionally. You, and it, that's a gentle transition you're trying to make from emotion to logic, correct? Absolutely. Okay. And so in the car world, why wouldn't you put logic before emotion? And I ask that because a lot of coaches want to justify or would complain to a kid, look, this is going to be the perfect fit for him. He can play right away. He runs, you know, the, the offense is the same that he ran in high school. It lines up so perfectly. I can't believe they're not more interested that would maybe be the coach that put the logic before the emotion. It didn't make that emotional connection. Emotion greatly intensifies the logic, uh, and it distorts the logic of how they have to make the decision and when and the sense of urgency. And it could even distort it in a good way, too. Absolutely, and that's what you're looking to do, because all you're looking to do, once again, is TLC, think like a customer and help them solve their problem, not yours. And so it, you owe it to them. When you think you're doing something to somebody, you're taking the wrong approach. All you're doing is trying to help them solve their problem. Uh, their problem is they want their education, they want X amount of it free, mom and dad, and they want to play a sport and uh, as the athlete. So you're helping them solve their problem, and the more emotion tied to that logic, the better off you are. People do not. Uh, as much as you'd like to think, they do not make decisions on those types of purchases by logic alone. Right. And it, it, it will create a shopper. You will do a very good job of helping your competitor sell that recruit if you're going to sell on logic alone. And trust me, I've already seen it with coaches talking to my son. Um, I'm not being trying to be negative, but they have absolutely no clue, zero clue about salesmanship, persuasion, and the ability to touch a kid's psyche, mind, and emotion about what they want. So, give, okay, so real quick, give me a couple of examples of what coaches have done wrong when it comes to failing to touch that psyche and emotion of your son or you as a family. What? Give me some examples of what coaches have done wrong. Two things. Number one, uh, that example of the one day where three different coaches, actually it was over two days, came in to meet my son. And the one gentleman did the looping, came in very businesslike and just said, uh, basically, we're, we're this greatest university, the greatest this, the greatest football. 
and he treated it as if you should be falling over yourself to come to me. Well, that may be true. Listen, my son would be blessed. But when you treat somebody like that, they don't feel blessed. All they're hearing is logic, and this kid is like any other kid who's thinking, okay, that's not a relationship. There's no relationship there, and nothing's about me. It's all about you. Right. And if you, to give you an example and an analogy, copywriting, when you write a sales letter, you want to make sure that the sales letter is dotted completely all the way through with the words you, your, and different variations of you. Um, if you're always in this sales letter talking about your product and you, not them, people don't buy that in a sales letter. They don't buy it in a sales relationship face-to-face. -face. So take the time to figure out what they want, be more relationship-based, repeat what they're looking for, make it about them, and have some fun. Uh, there's nothing wrong with humor. Humor ta uh, taps another part of the brain that releases endorphins and makes people feel connected to you. When, so you're in the room and you know you're going over figures and, and now you're face to face with having to make a decision. And I will point out to coaches listening that car sales professionals don't say, you know, once you're in the room, they give you the figures. They don't say, well, look, you know, no pressure. Look around. You know, call us in a week. Let us know if you have questions. There is an emphasis on getting the deal done. And this is, I'm going to go back to that comment from a coach or m many coaches over the years have said, you know, I don't want to do it like a car salesman. I don't want to force a kid into coming here. And what I hear you saying over the last 30 minutes and I'm combining it now with this moment in buying the car, you actually have to decide, are you going to buy the car or not? Just in the same way that a that an athlete is going to have to decide, do I come and play here or not? And I guess I'm wondering, what what is the teaching point at, for, that, for that, uh, that individual in the room deciding, you've given them numbers, and now you're maybe going back and forth, but at some point you have to generate action and a decision what what philosophy and training do most car dealerships use to get that done once again i would disagree with that coach and i'm going to give you a little saying timid salespeople raise skinny kids <laughs> so what i would tell him as a coach is that he does not believe in himself enough. He does not right. believe in what he's offering enough. He does not believe in his program enough. He does not believe in his university enough. And he's transferring that with an excuse to this uh, young person saying, well, I don't want to force them. You're not forcing anybody to do anything. But if you truly believed in yourself, your university, and your program, you would have so much emotion around it and so much direction towards leading them to that result, that they would feel that and they would be on fire to want to be with you. And if you don't, you're making an excuse. I 100% believe that that coach is making an excuse. And the real reality is he has fear of being rejected. Right. And he wants people to just say, oh, you're so great and your campus is so great. Guess what? It's a competitive world. There's a whole lot of great campuses. There's a whole lot of great universities and a whole lot of great programs. So what makes your specifically defining proposition better, different, unique than somebody else in such a way that you've pinpointed it that makes them emotional, helps them find that emotion? And then at the end, if you don't ask for the business, the one thing I know in life, 
Those who ask for something, get it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if you don't, you won't. And you won't recruit well, and you probably won't have a job. And I'll point out to people, too, that when you buy a car, after the negotiation is done, after you shake hands and you write up the contract, you are happy. You're almost relieved. Absolutely. And you drive off in a new car. I bet you didn't see many people drive off crying and flipping you off and with a frown on their face. They're happy. It's a happy experience. And I guess what is it about the human psyche and when we're going through the sales process, Mark, in anything, and it could be car sales, you know, just any kind of significant purchase. What is it about needing somebody to push us a little bit and needing somebody to say, look, it's time to make a decision? What, why are we, Dan, why are it's we fear. like that? Fear is what keeps people from making a decision. And I even use uh, what I call a decision close. I tell people, I said, the hardest part often for any of us in this world of getting what we want is simply deciding to do so. And the root of the word decide means to cut off from all other possibilities. And that's scary. That's scary for you. That's scary for your son or daughter. It, it's extremely scary. But I'll take you back to when you bought a car, when you bought a house, when you bought anything in life or made any big decision. The moment you made the decision, it was over. The weight came off your world, off of your shoulders. You felt great about it and you were happy. It's the fear that you're going to make a mistake. And here's another close. I tell people, and if you're a coach, take your parents and take the athlete in two directions. I want to say, number one, you are making a great decision. This is a great choice. This is the right choice. And based upon what you told me, what you wanted, what's best for your child and for you and for everybody, I 100% believe that you are not making a mistake. So I went to pleasure and pain. All decisions are based upon pleasure and pain. Right. The pleasure was you're making a great choice. This is wonderful for you. It's wonderful for your parents. It's wonderful for your education, your athletics. Everything is wonderful. But over here on the opposite end, taking you away from pain, you are not making a mistake. Tell every single person that's not making a decision, I believe 100% in my heart and soul. And you got you, you can't say this if you don't believe it. You, you, know, you have to be honest. Um, you can't lie, cheat, or steal to sell something. There's no need for that. You have to believe in what you're selling. And if you really believe it, I believe 100% that you are making a great choice. And based upon what you've told me, all of what you were looking for, both you, your parents, and your future, you are definitely not making a mistake. Right. And is, here are the options, Mr. Athlete, and I just need your okay. I need right. you to, I, I need and want for you to move forward with this because this is the right thing. It's time for you to make a decision, and this is the right choice for you. Right. So, boy, that's so much. I could take that, that last set of comments that you make and probably do another, another half-hour show on it, and, but I'll, let me let me ask a question uh, that you you mentioned something in there about the uh, about a about them basically believing in what you're selling and understanding that that's important for that that athlete that prospect that buyer to hear that that you believe in it that there's excitement around it 
And I think I hear a lot of coaches that would say, especially at, at non-full scholarship schools or in non-full scholarship sports, at expensive schools, and there's a lot of them out there. And what they would say is, yeah, I don't, I don't, well, I feel guilty, you know, telling them they should come here when we're $15,000 more than, than school X down the street. Uh, or, well, I just feel like they could get it somewhere better somewhere else. Does that go back to that idea that you better believe in your pro, in, in what you're offering and the confidence in your own college? But I, I'm sure you ran into salespeople like that, professional salespeople who would say, gosh, I'm going to sell them this car and they're a new family and money's tight and I know that they could probably get a better deal down the street. What, I guess for me, an ethical, moral standpoint because some coaches this is where they 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 hesitate what would you say is the you know how would you comfort or direct or teach that coach to not have that attitude because i don't think you should well it's it, it, it goes back to what you said you should believe where you're at is the best place for them you're the best coach and there's excitement around that but a lot of coaches don't bring that attitude in how do you help them how, if how they do don't them? i think it's immoral and unethical I think they need to quit their job immediately uh, because if they don't truly believe that they have a great solution for that athlete, uh, you're, you're not going to sell something you don't believe in. It's not, it's not possible unless you're, uh, there's something uh, terribly wrong with your character. So you have to sit down and go over what is your specific defining proposition? What is it that is unique, better, or different that would be a great choice? And in the past, if somebody made the decision to come here and was completely happy, what was it about that decision that you would repeat as a testimonial? Uh, facts tell, but stories sell. So you have to paint a story that is believable, not only for that athlete, but yourself. If you don't believe in what you're selling, I'd say change jobs, or you have to sit down and define why you should be believing uh, in what you're selling and what you have to offer is good. And, and, and let me share with you a good deal is relative. I could tell right. you the happiest customers in anything you ever sell in life are the ones that paid you the most profit. And the ones that are that will beat you to death for every nickel are never happy. So this isn't always about the lowest money. If you think money is truly the only value, then you're not looking at what you're selling. And there's a lot of other equations besides money. Money is never the final issue. If you think money is the only issue for people, you're not building a good enough case for what is good for them and what the value is of what you have to offer because money is, is rarely the only and final decision. So important because that, and what you've just said, I think resonated with a lot of coaches that the people who are beating you over, hey, it's $500 cheaper over at this school, can you match it? Uh, and you go back and forth, and it's always, we want to visit one more college. Those are the ones that are going to really probably be a pain in the neck after they get to the school. Yes. So that's, um, You don't have to do business with everybody, and all, not all athletes are going to be the right choice for you. They have to want, based upon what you shared with them, they have to want you too. And if it's just over every nickel there are people you should not do business with because you'll find in the future that will become your biggest pain um, the people that are nickel and diming everything and I understand that you know it's an important equation with the money they're trying to get the best right but there has to be something far greater in that and if they're making their decision on money only then that parent and that uh, 
that parent is probably not making the best decision for their kid and you're going to have problems with that athlete there you have to be willing to let certain people go and go towards a better recruit that fits your um your environment so mark i have two two last questions for you. And, and I want to talk to you again, because there are so many little micro topics that you brought up that I think would be great to get coaches to, to understand uh, from that perspective, because I think so much of recruiting and having an athlete commit to your school is it, it runs parallel to the process of, of buying a car, which is something most of us are familiar with and, and can relate to. But let me ask you two quick questions. Number one, uh, in the work that you do with businesses now, and maybe you can give people a little overview of the work that you do, and also that this can apply to to their athletic department and their coaching staff as well, that you can come in and work with them. It's not just related to business. But in the business world, what is the big problem that you're seeing with sales professionals that you spend the most time trying to fix with them? The biggest thing that I see is they don't, develop themselves every day. They don't work on their craft. Um, and it's part art and part science. So it's sales skills, it's part people skills, it's actually a big part of life skills. What's your attitude? What's your daily action management? What do you do? How do you do it? When do you do it? And so sales skills, people skills, life skills, and then your marketing. How are you marketing? And so you have to be a well-rounded person and you have to work on it every single day to try to get better. And often people just show up, try to do their job and go home without getting better. And I can't imagine every day you're, you're asking your athletes, you're telling them to get better every single day. But yet, let me ask you, what are you doing as a coach to get better every single day? Right. Right. Okay. And so the last, the last question that I would want to ask kind of as a, as a, uh, a, uh, a dovetail to that. And, and real quickly, if people wanted to get a hold of you or ask you follow-up questions directly and not have to go through me, how, what's the best way to do that? A couple different ways. You can go to my website at tewart.com. That's T-E-W-A-R-T.com. And you can call me at 888-2-TEWART. Uh, you can email me at info at tewart.com. And what I do and what our company does is Although I came out of the automotive industry and we still have a large niche where we work with car dealers, I do a lot of professional speaking for all types of industries, anything from banks to manufacturers to CPAs to associations. I spoke at your event mm -hmm. this year. So right. I do a lot of, um, quote, motivational or sales or business directed and marketing and management uh, leadership type speaking. And then we train and do business consulting. So no matter what the industry, you find um, if you tend to make a mistake, it's that we say, well, our business is different. Our clients are different. Our location is different. What you find, having worked with all types of industries and people, is that there's very little difference. Right. <laughs> uh, almost all businesses, and you are a business, is within reason um, a lot the same. So you have right. to uh, look at it that way. So we can help uh, coaches and others in their sales, their persuasion, their process to uh, have a higher, if you want to call it a closing ratio or a better benefit in delivering their message. Uh, we go through the full gamut. Okay. So my last question is if you have, you're, you're talking to, let's say in the business world, as well as in the college sports world, people who find themselves now 
in a sales position. They're having to sell, and I think this fits the, the profile of coaches perfectly because most of them did not get into college coaching with the idea that they're going to love sales or have to get really good at sales. It's just something that they've realized now that they're in it and they want to stay in it, so they need to become good salespeople. So from that standpoint, that, that, that person, what is the thing that they should do first to get better at being a salesperson? What is the core foundational, here's step one, make sure you're doing this right. What would you recommend, uh, not only for coaches, but any salesperson? Well, just two things. One, work on your paradigm first. That once again, this is something you're doing with somebody to help them solve their own problems and that you're serving somebody. So don't look at it as you're doing something to somebody and trying to harm them. You have to you have to truly believe in what you're doing or you'll never be effective. And then two, self-educate yourself every day in the science uh, as much as the art of it. It's part art, part science. So knowing what to say, knowing listening techniques, knowing how to do a presentation demonstration, how to create your specific defining proposition, knowing and, and understanding keywords and closing techniques and what will get you to where they want to, where you want to be and where they want to be. That's more of the technical science part, but everybody needs to learn that. And eventually, actually, the better salesperson you become, you'll need less of that because you'll become so great at your relationship building that people will be buying you more than your product. As a coach, if I leave you with anything, um, you think these kids are buying your program. You think they're buying your campus. And we tell people, choose a, tell kids, choose a uh, school as if, you, if you've never played a sport there that you would want to go there. And that's true. But the reality is no matter what you do, you can't take the people element. People buy from people. Well, who they're truly buying is you. If they don't choose your university, most of it had to do with you. And if you take that personal responsibility, you'll get better. So just learn the science part of it. Daily educate yourself every day on persuasion, on sales, et cetera, and you'll become a much better recruiter and a much better coach. Because when you coach, you're selling somebody on what they have to do on that field and the way that you want them to do it of endeavor that whatever sport you are, are, are coaching. Such great stuff from Mark Tuart. We really appreciate him being on the show and lending his expertise, kind of coming into the sports world and giving advice to coaches. You can follow Mark and get more of his great stuff at Tewart.com, T-E-W-A-R-T.com. Until next week, Coach Man, we hope you have a fantastic week out there recruiting. Be smart, apply some of these lessons to your approach, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.